0: This week's Torah content has been sponsored by the Fishbinds, who enjoy reading the sponsorship messages every week, in honor of Chen and Max's wedding, and with a tefillah for a lasting peace in Israel. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneewice, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is from Epictetus' Enchiridion, the Handbook, Chapter 3. With respect to any of those things you find attractive or useful or have a fondness for, recall to mind what kind of thing it is, beginning with the most trifling. So if you are fond of an earthenware pot, say I am fond of an earthenware pot. Then you will not be upset if it gets broken. Okay, so before we talk about that excerpt from Epictetus, we're actually going to talk about another excerpt from a different author, which is what prompted this episode in the first place. And that author is Rumi. And the poem I'm going to read from is entitled A Given. Now, I don't know if Rumi came up with the titles of his own poems, or if this is from the translator, but I'm reading from the translation by Coleman Barks. And I'm going to read the whole poem, even though we're only going to talk about one out of the two elements. Okay. And just so you can know what to pay attention to here, uh, there are two analogies in this poem. There's the cotton analogy and then the prison cell analogy. So we're going only going to focus on the prison cell analogy, but here's the entire poem. The drum we hear inside us now, we may not hear tomorrow. We have such fear of what comes next. Death. These loves are like pieces of cotton. Throw them in the fire. Death will be a meeting like that flaring up, a presence you have always wanted to be with. This body and this universe keep us from being free. Those of you decorating your cells so beautifully, do you think they won't be torn down? The eventual demolishing of prisons is a given. Fire change, disaster change, you can trust that those will come around to you. Alrighty, so that... Last part about uh where he gives this sort of uh rebuke really to the people decorating their prison cells. Prison here meaning the body and the universe, right? I'm just gonna read that last part again. Okay, so this body and this universe keep us from being free. So that's the metaphor of the prison, is the body and the universe. And then he talks to the people who are in the prison cells. He says, Those of you decorating your cells so beautifully, do you think they won't be torn down? Okay, which is what caused me to associate to the epictetus quote. And then he assures us, he says, this eventual demolishing of prisons is a given. Fire change, disaster change, you can trust that those will come around to you. So he seems to have a negative view of those who are decorating their prison cells, meaning those who are building up and adorning their uh, their body and their their physical existence in this universe. So when I read this, I immediately thought of two exceptions, not two exceptions to the rule, two, two examples of people or of, of ideas that would... would Would beg to differ. Okay. The first is an idea expressed by Claire Wineland. Now, I think I've, I'm sure I've talked about Claire Wineland on this podcast before, but just to refresh our memory here Claire was a a young woman who was uh, diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and she was told that she was going to die, I think, when she was five. And, uh, and she, you know, she had a ton of medical procedures done and she ended up living until she was seven. Okay. Then told she was going to die, you know, next year, then she lived and next year and next year and next year. And she basically grew up, grew, you know, spent her whole childhood knowing that she was going to die. She spent the vast majority of time in hospitals with various procedures. She almost actually died or maybe clinically died a couple of times. Uh, eventually she, she did pass away when she was 21, um, I used to use her. She was a motivational speaker. I used her videos in my koh uh, uh, my Kohalis class in in high school. So I want to share with you an excerpt that from a speech that she gave when she was nineteen. This is the Claire Wineland at Zappo's All Hands meeting speech. And I'm actually I was going to paraphrase it, but I would really rather let you hear from Claire herself. So this is about a two minute excerpt describing her her decision that she made about her hospital room when she was in a very long hospital stay. Okay, here we go. Because
1: Here's the thing. Go back to that hospital room. The reason that no one decorates their hospital room, the reason that's not a thing, is because we are told from the time we're a kid to the time we're, you know, to the time of our death, that all that matters is our health. Think about it. When you're sick, all you're told is that, yeah, just wait till you're healthy, and then you can live your life. Like, let's get you healthy so that you can do what you want to do with your life. What happens when you're never going to be healthy? What happens when you're always going to be sick? When all you have is that hospital room? When you're never going to have a New York loft department? What do you do? Because the truth is, that hospital room, what do we think of when we think of hospital rooms? We think of cold, we think of white, we think of sterile, we think of where people go to die. Right? We think of like little, we think of that. <laughs> what if, the hospital is just a room. What if it is just four walls and a window and a bed? And it is up to us to choose what we do with it. Because I was not given a New York loft apartment. I was not given possibility to get whatever Mm -hmm. house I want. I had a hospital room and I figured out how to make it home. And that's because I didn't reject it. I didn't try and run away from the suffering and the pain because the truth is we all feel it. We all have our hospital room, whatever it is. We all have the place that we're scared of, the loneliness and the pain. It's part of being a human being. But the beautiful part of being a human being is we have the opportunity to take that, to look at that, and to make it what we want it to be. We can lay out everything we've ever felt, everything we've experienced, and make something with it a whole society the way that we view people who are sick the way that we view people who are suffering is so backwards because we tell them they have to wait until they're healthy they have to wait until they're better off to live the life that they're proud of instead of teaching them from the moment they're born how to make their lives what they want it to be
0: and Okay, so I actually forgot to give the uh, the background info here. so the background info is that when she was in I think you can get it from the context when she was in this hospital room and she knew she was going to be there for a while, she asked her parents if she could decorate it like a new york loft uh, apartment and uh, and she did and she made it beautiful and she made it you know she spent a lot of time and effort in in uh, making it feel like home, and all the nurses were really impressed with that and, uh, and I think the idea spread to other other patients so so this is what came to mind when I saw when I saw Rumi seemingly criticizing those uh, who are decorating their cells so beautifully, saying, "Do you think they won't be torn down?" And what I think is interesting here is that Claire Weinland, well, she was literally dying, and she was literally in a prison. I mean, not not a prison for being a criminal, but she was trapped in this hospital, and she couldn't get out. But and she chose to decorate her room not because she denied her situation or deny what it was, but because she embraced it and told herself what the thing actually was, and then realized that this is what it is right now, but I can make it into something else. And so I thought that that was a, a different perspective than you would get from the Rumi poem. I don't think that Rumi would necessarily disagree with that because he's saying, those of you decorating your cells so beautifully, do you think that they won't be torn down? So in other words, if you know that your, your cell, that this is a cell, you know it's temporary and you know it's going to be torn down and yet you decorate it with that knowledge so then i think that that is something that is actually positive that's actually making the best out of your temporary situation and and i think that's in line with epictetus quote where he says that with respect to any of those things you find attractive or useful or have a fondness for recall to mind what kind of thing it is beginning with the most trifling right so that's what she did with her hospital room she in she was actually stripping away the the impressions that as epictetus would say the the imagination and fear and fantasy based judgments about the room she was in you know that this is a place where people go to die or this is a place where you are isolated from people i mean those are all those are all uh, versions that you can impose, you know, versions of, of, of reality that you can impose on the room. But what is it? It is a room with a window and and four walls and a bed. And that's really what it is. And then from that, that, that objective perspective of it, then she chose to make it into something else that could actually give her happiness. So Claire Wineland was the first example of this. But then the other example I thought of, uh, maybe some of you already <laughs> uh, thought about this when we were talking about what temporary dwelling do we decorate? So I, I couldn't help but think of sukkah, right? Uh, the Mishnah in sukkah, Perak Bez Mishnah Tess says, mm-hmm. uh, For all seven days of sukkahs of sukkah, so the holiday, a person makes the sukkah, Permanent and his house temporary. Okay, and and the Gemara explains what that means. It doesn't mean that you make the sukkah permanent. You know, you, you don't make it a permanent sukkah. But what you do is you treat it as a permanent residence. You take all of your 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 fanciest furniture and bedding and and uh, and uh, and silverware and you you bring that into the sukkah and you treat your house as temporary. And we actually do decorate our sukkahs. That's part of the, you know, part of the Hidra Mitzvah, part of the beautifying of the mitzvahs. We make this beautiful temporary hut. And there are many reasons given for why we do this. But I think one of the, you know, I I assume this is a a mainstream idea that Sukkot was the holiday that we celebrated at the end of the harvest when we brought in all of our wealth from the year. And there was a danger that we would take this wealth in our own houses and treat it as something... As something that we take credit for and that we that is permanent and that is an actual part of our being and our success as uh, our success as a human being. and but what the Torah essentially does is Hashem kicks us out of the house out of our permanent house and and forces us to look at it from the outside and recognize that really it is, you know we're kicked out of our house, our permanent house into a temporary hut and forced to look at our permanent house and recognize that in reality, it is a temporary hut. You know, our whole physical existence is a temporary hut. And I think it's trying to foster the same thing, which is that Judaism is not in favor of, of you know, asceticism, of rejecting the enjoyments of the physical world, even psychological enjoyments. But you have to recognize what they are, and you have to contextualize them properly, which I think is what uh, what Claire Wineland was doing in her approach to this hospital room, and what, what Rumi is doing in his, this this poem, and what Epictetus is saying that you should do with every object, is don't lose sight of what the thing actually is. You know, you think that this, if, if this is your favorite earthenware jug, and you make this into a, a, a sentimental object, like you got this, I don't know, you got this jug when you were a kid, and like it is associated with all these memories. I mean, that might be true, but at the end of the day, it is it is a a, a breakable jug, and so, so when it when, if you keep that in mind, then when it breaks, you shouldn't be um, you shouldn't be upset. But that shouldn't prevent you from enjoying it while you have it. Uh, and I think that that is the uh, the message we get from this from this allegory. Um, will we return to this to analyze the other part of the poem? I don't know. It depends on whether I have uh, an idea. I think I actually do have an idea about what the analogy is of cotton. I'll just end off by reading it again. Uh, just the, the first three stanzas here. The drum we hear inside us now, we may not hear tomorrow. We have such a fear of what comes next, death. These loves are like pieces of cotton, throw them in the fire. Death will be a meeting like that flaring up, a presence you have always wanted to be with. And at the end, he, he references both by saying, the eventual demolishing of prisons is a given. Fire change, that's the cotton. Disaster change, I assume that's the prison. You can trust that those will come around to you. Okay, so that's what we have to think about for next time. But that is it for today's episode. If you have gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt and my Zelle and PayPal are MattSchneeweiss at Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbashnewes at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my supporters. Sorry. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. I knew I was forgetting something. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.